Good afternoon, baseball fans. It is Friday, December 15th, and this is a special bonus episode of Bourbon and Baseball. I don't remember what number episode this is, but again, it's a special bonus episode, so consider you guys lucky because we have a very special guest with me today, and this is Jeff Blum from the two-time winning uh, World Series Astros color commentator. You know him. You love him. I typically only call him Blummer, and for like a hot minute, I had a brain fart. Well, what's his first name? I don't remember because I always, <laughs> always call you Blummer or Blum in my head, and I'm like, it starts with a chi. Oh, mm. Jeff, that's what it was. Yes. So again, Jeff, thank you so much for. That sounds weird. I'm gonna call you Blum. Blum, thanks yeah. so much for uh, please do um, coming on the show and. Um, I just wanted to shout out, uh, I say our good friend, like I actually am really good friends with him, but you know, we, we're, we're kind of friends, uh, Marco for, you know, Oh, he's the best. Yes. yes. Up. Marco I love it. over at Ram shirts. We love him. And, um, when I first got into the like podcast game or whatever, um, he sent me some swag and he sent me one of these little fun patches. Oh, it's even autographed. It's you. even autographed. Yeah. So Marco, thank you for that. I appreciate you. Um, so Blum, I know you are super busy with a house full of kiddos again. Um, I know <laughs> that that they've all come home now. So I just want to uh, first shout out Corey because bless her for having the first kid and then being like, oh, okay, triplets, cool, cool. Let's let's do that. Let's have that on. Yeah, no. It, it, the only reason I am sitting here talking to you at this given moment is because my wife is so amazing and in doing all of that. Now, you know, you take into account you know, living with a ball player, our schedules are crazy, the travel, and then add four kids to it. And then just the, the miracle of birth in itself. And then, uh, you know, in, in the matter of three years have four kids, you know, it's pretty remarkable, but yeah, she's definitely the glue. She's the rock, whatever you want to call her, but yeah, she's the superstar in the family for sure. Bless, bless her. Um, before I go further on into the show, typically I give the warning, um, since I have, you know, a, you know, I'd say somewhat famous guest. I'm going to keep it like a PG-13 episode. Normally it's a rated R episode, Blum, but you know, I, I don't, I don't want to uh, offend people that are, that are coming to the show. Um, well, son of a bitch. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Blum, I knew we were going to be, I knew we were going to be friends. Did we just become best friends? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, so again, guys, if that, you know, is not your jam, cause like I said, typically there are multiple four letter words, um, that rain down upon the show. If that's not your jam, then, you know, I'd probably turn this off, but that's not for me to judge. That's, that's for you, to, you to judge. So with that said, we're just going to jump right on in. Um, Blum, as I was doing the research for this episode, and this is why I shouldn't do the research. Cause I try and be smart. And I was going to say like 13 year veteran. And then I, and then I was like doing the math. I'm all just kidding. It's not 13. It's, it's 14. It's, Isn't it weird how that adds up though? Cause, uh, cause I started in 99 finished in 12 that means 13 right but it actually ended up being 14 but to do even more intricate math i was actually a month short of completing a full 14 years so technically it's 13 and change okay okay so i don't i so i don't feel as dumb as i thought because again uh no. listeners to the show know that this is not a math pod and i'm not that asian so they wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if i got the math wrong but you know new viewers may be like Susie that's not that's not it so yeah, yeah um 14 year veteran and um you so you started off with the Montreal Expos and like I said as I was doing the research I was so surprised to come to find out that you played with Vladdy Sr. <laughs> oh yeah 
No, um, Vladdy like, Senior and I go way back. I I I played with him in Double A. So so just a just a couple just a few years back then just a few years back then. Um, yep. I so short story. I am a there's a before baseball Susie and an after baseball Susie. After baseball Susie comes at 2018. I became a baseball fan in 2018. Um, so pretty much anything before 2018, I'm just like this big black hole of knowledge, and I don't really know much about baseball before. Mm -hmm. And so when I was looking at that, I'm all. Hold on, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. What? And so then I had to go look and see all of the other kind of like rosters that you were that you were on. And so then I'm like writing down these notes and I'm all, hold on. He played with Paul Goldschmidt too? Yeah. So I was like, oh, all right, there, there we go. D-backs, Paul Goldschmidt. And again, in, in my brain, Paul Goldschmidt is is a cardinal and never a D-back. And I'm all wait. I know. So just my brain was Texas was State a little great broken. Paul Goldschmidt. Again, I just brain just a little broken. I was like, what? I was But, the, I was but that isn't that part of the fun is to be able to look back and see some of those things? Because there's even, you know, I, I playing on six teams over 14 years, the crossover and the contamination that I've created in my career is 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 lengthy. So it, you know, it's kind of cool to be on that spectrum of playing against guys like I, you know, I faced Oral Hershiser, you know, my first year. <laughs> And then I've also faced, uh, you know, uh, Max Scherzer played with Paul Goldschmidt. So it's kind of like, it's unique. I'm kind of in that, you know, when the Goldschmidt's and the Scherzer's and guys like that start to phase out of the game, that's when I'm going to start to lose touch with the, some of the game, uh, some of the, some of the contemporaries that I played with, but, uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to play as long as I did, but I played with some great, great players and great dudes. Uh, yeah, I, like I said, I was, I was, I don't know why I was shocked because in my, <laughs> In my brain, again, like I was like Montreal Expos, like I don't even know anybody on that team. And then again, I was like, oh no, no, I do, I do, I recognize a couple of names. So, mm -hmm. um, random, random trivia: Do you know what team you hit your first home run off of? Oh yeah, Colorado Rockies, Mike DeJean. <laughs> so then you also know what team you hit your last home run off of? Oh damn, I didn't even think about that. Colorado <laughs> Rockies, that was. Uh... Esmail Rogers, I think. Yes. Yes, it was. Yes. Holy uh -huh. cow. Talk about full circle. I really, I did not even put that together. That's hilarious. Yeah. So Colorado Rockies holds a special place in yeah. your heart. Maybe <laughs> now. You, maybe, you know, what's even know. crazier is that the second homer I hit in my career was off of Daryl Kyle. Really? Yeah. He was pitching for the Rockies in 1999. And I, I, I faced him the next day after hitting that home run off of Mike DeJong. Wow. Yeah. Oh. See, all, see, all, it all kinds comes of, back to the Astros. It all, all comes back. All, all <laughs> kinds of fun that, that we're, we're having here. So like you said earlier, um, you played with, you know, six different teams. You were um, shortstop, second, third, util, infielder, switch hitter. When, as you were like growing up, did you have a favorite position? And were you like, mm. hey, I, I can bet left and right. Let's do this. You know what's crazy about that is, uh, yes, I, I I grew up as a shortstop. I mean, the second I was uh, able to put on a glove and run on the field for whatever reason, I was I was placed at shortstop, and just kind of grew into the position and continued to grow, which was kind of unique. Just playing that position at six foot three, uh, the guy that I looked up to was Cal Ripken, because he was that first true you know tall. Uh, large shortstop. So I watched a lot of what he did and uh, listened to what he had to say about anticipating the ball, 
you know, and just really kind of using some of that uh, intuitiveness to make him a better shortstop because we don't have the quickness that maybe, you know, a Jeremy Pena or some of these other guys have. And uh, we had to accommodate or make up for that lack of quickness by being in the right spot or at least in the vicinity to make the play. And uh, I played shortstop all the way through high school. I got recruited to go to Cal as a shortstop played as a shortstop, drafted as a shortstop. And uh, my goal was to play, make it to the big leagues as a shortstop. And then we'll figure it out from there. Right. And uh, I was actually lucky enough to uh, break in in 1999 and play, I think, 30 some games at shortstop for the Expos my rookie year. And I really think that that helped my, you know, sustain my career, knowing that I had that lengthy experience at shortstop. It allowed me to move to different positions and show the athleticism and become that utility guy. But uh, interesting enough, I did not learn how to switch hit or hit left-handed because I was a natural right-handed hitter. I did not learn how to hit left-handed until my freshman year in college. Really? Yep. And, so when and I got all of a sudden you're like, hey, let's do this. What? How did that yeah. happen? <laughs> well, it, it wasn't pretty, to be honest with you, because I showed, <laughs> I, I showed up at Cal. I was a cocky 18-year-old kid who got, you know, got the, one of the few scholarships they're handing out. Uh, there were guys on our team. I think our shortstop at the time was like 21, 22 years old. And I'm like, Hey bro, beat it, you know? And, uh, uh, we go into fall ball and our head coach, Bob Milano, who I absolutely adore and am thankful for him and his, his all of his wise thoughts that said that I could hit left-handed. And, uh, uh -huh. he pulled me into his office, sits me down and goes, Hey, uh, you're going to learn to hit left-handed. And I was like, dude, you're an idiot. I'm like, I'm, I'm like super awesome right-handed hitter. <laughs> and he's like, I think that you could do it. And I goes, I want to see if you can do it. And we went into fall ball. I proceeded to go, I think, Oh, for the, Oh, for fall ball. I did not get a hit. Yeah. Oh. It was, it was gross. And I mean, it was weak contact, pop uh -huh. up, rollover. I mean, it was, and I was getting, we're facing junior colleges and I'm going, right. how am I supposed to play D one? And I can't, I can barely make contact on these guys, Right. but I walked into uh, Bob Milano's office after fall ball and I kind of sat down and I was like, just furious. And I was like, I can't believe you made me do this. There's no way I can, I can make this happen. I tried, I'm done. I'm hurting the team. I'm hurting my efforts. I'm embarrassed. I want to stop. And to, just to give you an idea of Bob Milano, he was as old school as it got because he had two cups of coffee burning. He had a cup of coffee in front of him. He had a dip, a chaw, and a cigarette. And we wore these like, yeah, it was amazing. And we wore these like slickers, you know, uh -huh. when we worked out. And he, it, it was just infested with just drips of uh, chew and tobacco and stuff. And he leans back and he goes, <sighs> he goes, well, son, the way I see it, you've got two choices. You can, uh, you can stop switch hitting and you can, you know, lose your scholarship and go home. Because I didn't have the, uh, you know, my parents weren't wealthy enough to send me to college. I was just riding the scholarship. Right. And he goes, or you could, or you could go back in that cage and figure it out. And I was like, well, damn, I'm gonna <laughs> play baseball. I'm like, I, so I immediately went in the cage, and I mean, for the next what felt like you know six months uh, over the off season, I just continued to hit in the cage, hit in the cage until I figured it out. So when I got drafted in 1994, my left-handed swing was only three years old, and that's what's wow. kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. That see the nuggets that I can find out. That's yep. that is awesome. Mm -hmm. So then when when you transitioned into the switch hitting role and then mm -hmm. like the teams. So you said that you started 30 games at shortstop and then the yep. expos said, Hey, uh, can you play some second? And you said, Absolutely. 
I mean, is that is that something that you had done beforehand or were you like, nope, we're just going to figure it out because that's what they asked me to do? Yeah, you, well, basically, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, so at the end of the 1999 season, you know, I played 30 games. I freaked out, hit eight home runs. And all of a sudden, you know, Felipe Alou, who I, I mean, I owe a lot to, uh, kind of showed up in spring training the next year. Orlando Cabrera was the shortstop. He's healthy. So I knew I wasn't going to be the st opening day shortstop. But uh, they liked the way I swung the bat from both sides of the plate. So, they, you know, Felipe Alou's like, oh, you know, you can, you can you play another position? And I said, you know, I played a little bit of second base in the minor leagues. Uh, didn't play, I mean, maybe a handful of games at third base and never played the outfield. So he's kind of going around. He goes, oh, yeah, you, can you play a left field? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. And I mean... <laughs> If, if I were Pinocchio at that time, I would have decked him right in the forehead with my nose because I was lying straight to his face because I wanted to be on the team. Right. So it kind of it kind of worked out in that sense that I became, you know, I became Marwin Gonzalez before Marwin Gonzalez even existed. So that became my role from there on out the rest of my career. That's awesome. So I know on various other shows and during the broadcast, you, you and TK, you guys have talked about like how many gloves you actually had. <laughs> yeah. And now... So again, before baseball Susie, after baseball Susie, I wasn't, I wasn't aware that there were different, like I knew that, you know, the catcher obviously had a different glove and I knew like first base had a different glove. I was not, yeah. I was not aware that there were like outfield gloves and infield. I was like, wait, mm -hmm. hold on. What? And my husband just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And he's like, I don't, I don't know why that didn't occur to you. I'm all, I don't, who's, who, who am I? I don't know these things. Yeah. So how many, how many gloves did you have to carry with you at a time? Um, it ended up being quite a few and, and, and being a switch here, I was kind of arrogant in the equipment department because I wasn't going to do the double ear flap for switch hitting. I was going to do the left-handed helmet, the right-handed helmet. Cause I loved, you know, the one ear flap was so uh -huh. big league to me. I was like, dude, I'm going one ear flap on each side. So I had two helmets. I had a first baseman's glove. I had, I used a different glove at third base than I did in the middle of the infield because I grew up playing with a really small glove at uh -huh. uh, shortstop just because I felt like I had a better feel and it made me a better player. So I used the same glove at shortstop and at uh, second base. And then I had a bigger glove for third base. And then I had an even bigger glove that probably wasn't as broken in as, as my other gloves for the outfield. So I had four gloves that I consistently traveled with, but I would travel with two gloves for the middle infield. And then eventually later in my career, I traveled with two third base gloves just because I needed a backup. Oh. Um, I, you know, there were times where, you know, the webbing would break or a string would snap and you're like, Oh crap, now what? So it would be, I would, I think eventually I started traveling with about five gloves just to be safe. Wow. That's mm -hmm. look at that's awesome. So, Oh, I was, the, I was the emergency catcher when I was with the Astros in 2008, nine and 10. <laughs> so I had like a gear bag too. And I was like, thank, I only put that on once and I didn't play. Thank God. I, I was not, not catch. I was not aware of that fact. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was another, that was another one where, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember the uh, manager at the time, but he's like, you can catch. Right. And I'm like, uh-huh. Totally lying. I had, Absolutely. I did not want to be back there. You're like my yeah. knee. I say yes. My knees, however, not yeah. not great fans of that. Yeah, this so. corpse is not agreeing with my mind right now. <laughs> That's so funny. So, um, <clears throat> I know that you came into you know like the Astros universe in your playing career. Um, before or after you got a statue erected. <laughs> 
to you by the White Sox, Flum? Uh, well, my, so there, there's a famous quote in 2002, and it might have been March 13th or 14th, because I got traded from Montreal to the to the Astros in uh, March 12th of 2002. And uh, there, the, one of my first quotes in the Houston Chronicle was, you know, welcome to the Astros. What's it like? And I go, I, I said, it felt like getting, I got called up for the second time. Because I went from Montreal in front of, you know, 2,000 to 5,000 people at night in an empty stadium to a team that was contending for the National League Central for so many years. And I was like, dude, I'm, all of a sudden, I gotta, I'm got i like, I'm competing. And uh, it truly felt like I had gotten called up again. I got traded for Chris Truby in that trade. So I really, you know, embraced the opportunity to be around Bagwell, Biggio, Shane Reynolds, Octavio Dotel, uh, young Morgan Ensberg, Adam Everett, uh, Baggy, B I mean, all of them, you know, Billy Wagner. Uh, so I was kind of, uh, I was kind of in awe of what was going on. Instead of competing against them, I was with them and it completely changed who I was as a player mm -hmm. um, because it was selfish in Montreal because we weren't winning. And now all of a sudden it became more team oriented, which was great. And, uh, you know, 2003, uh, we, we break camp and I'm the opening day third baseman for the Astros and Jimmy Williams puts me, you know, Biggio Blum, Bagwell, Berkman. And I'm like, holy crap, this is happening. And it was a blast. Uh, but I eventually got traded away to Tampa Bay for Brandon Backey. And yes, 2005 happened. And yes, um, that they, 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 they decided to honor that home run. And, uh, you know, it was a little interesting when I got the phone call from my agent in 2008 and they're like, Hey, the Astros offered you a really good contract. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> hold, hold on. Uh, do I'm they... Like, Are they sure? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm going to keep referencing the before baseball Susie, because, uh, when they had started talking about the white Sox and all of this stuff, um, they had referenced this home run. I'm all, what home run? What what are we talking about? And my husband's like, 2005. Go look it up. I'm all, yeah. oh, okay. With, with the numerous ex expletives behind it, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what? Okay. And so then, I so I look it up and I'm all, you shut up. I was like, that game was that long? And he's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. He goes, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Up until all, game five of the 2017 World Series, it was the longest game in World Series history. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and I was like, hold on. That's why they... That's why he has a statue outside. And he just my, my husband starts laughing because he's because he is of the of this era of the of the Astros, the Biggio, the mm -hmm. Bagwell. And so he just he it kind of tickles his fancy, if you will, that I'm just now learning about all of this stuff. And he just start he died, he died laughing when I when I saw and watched the YouTube clip of you hitting that home run. And then I was like, what? And so, like I said, doing the research. I had read an article about all about the entire experience and how technically you weren't supposed to come in. And I was mm -hmm. like, what? So yeah. I, I wanted to make it a point and ask you about that. Like, were you just, were you just like, okay, you know what? It's training's going to kick in and muscle memory. Let's go. hundred percent. Cause I hadn't had in a bat for 21 days. <laughs> uh, you know, so it was a lot of, uh, you know, facing our, our bullpen guys and trying to, you know, do game simulations um, I altered my swing about 15 times in that span, but, uh, we got to game three, you know, and this is still in the, you know, in the, uh, when the pitchers were hitting era, right? you know, now that we're in this universal DH, this probably would have never happened. So we get to the national league ballpark and the national league rules kick in. 
So me, Pablo Ozuna, Willie Harris, and Chris Widger, the four guys on the bench, and we all knew this was a real opportunity uh, to get in these games. So we were, you know, from the fifth inning on, we were ready. And all of a sudden, you know, this marathon uh, happens where the teams are going back and forth. White Sox take a lead, uh, Astros tie it up, and it was just kept going back and forth until the ninth when it just kind of, you know, stagnated and, and moved on into the 13th inning. And in the 13th inning, Tadahito Aguchi, our second baseman, was hitting third that inning. And I believe our pitcher was hit, hitting, had to be hitting sixth. So Ozzie Guillen, who I, I know people are going to, people are always amazed when I see this, but I love the guy. I loved playing for him. I love the dude. I mean, we have a phenomenal relationship and I played against him. He was my third base coach in Montreal and he traded for me that year. He specifically called the Padres and asked for me. And it's big. I think it was because of that relationship. So he comes down screaming and yelling and he looks at Pablo and he's like, Pablo, if uh, Gucci uh, makes the last out, you're going to second base on a double switch. He, he'd call me Bloomy, Bloomy. If 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 we get to the pitcher, you're going to pinch hit. And I'm like, perfect. Elbow guard, shin guard, batting gloves, taking my hacks. I'm ready. Watching the game, Aguchi, I think, strikes out. They call him in, and I'm like, well, shit. Well, you, shoot, that might have been <laughs> my only my only opportunity to get in the World Series. And I'm kind of standing there taking my batting gloves off. You know, I don't know where my gloves are because I I didn't plan on going in on defense. And Ozzy literally looks and he goes, Bloomy, second base. And I was like, dude, what? You're like, that's not the plan. I'm like, I was not ready for this. You know, I hadn't thrown a ball in 14, 13 innings or whatever it was. So uh, I had to run in the clubhouse or find my glove wherever I stashed it and ran out to second base. And keep in mind, I played shortstop and first base and third base the entire season with the White Sox. This, I think, might have been my first appearance at second base. And uh, I get a pop up that inning. And it was the, you know, it was, I was like, dude, I actually had it. I made an out in the World Series. Yeah, you know. And uh, I'm hitting third the next inning behind Jermaine Dye, Paul Konerko, Jeff Blum. <laughs> And Jermaine gets a base hit. He eventually became the World Series MVP. And Konerko's up there, and he could have been the MVP of the World Series the way he was swinging the bat. And I'm sitting there going, bro, I'm going to have to bunt because Jermaine's already on base. Konerko's going to get on base. Right. Jermaine is an okay runner. Paul Konerko is the slowest man in baseball. I mean, he was the <laughs> Albert Pujols before Albert Pujols. And I'm like, how am I going to lay down this damn bunt? I haven't bunted in years. <laughs> And uh, so I'm taking my fake practice swings with no intent because I'm like, dude, I'm going to have to bunt. I'm panicking. Konerko hits a rocket to third base and Morgan Ensberg backhands it. Uh, Vizcaino came in on a double switch to get Biggio out of there. Vizcaino turns this just, I mean, it was, it was magical. It was almost like the ball never hit his hands. It just kind of redirected and went to first base and they got a double play. And, you know, the dugout's like, oh, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> Well, so now, well, now you're up and you're like, wait, all oh, right, now I got two outs. Crap. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, immediately I was like, okay, I don't have to bunt. And, uh, you know, the realization that this might be my only at bat in the World Series, I said, I'm going to take a pitch. Right. Uh, it was a fastball away outside. I said, okay, I'm going to take until he throws me a strike. Next pitch is out of the zone, two and oh. And I was like, oh, crap. I go, I'm going to get a pitch to hit right here. And I was kind of thinking up the middle of the other way because I had Aaron Rowan, Joe Creedy behind me. I'm like, just get on base for those guys. Right. But uh, if you watch the replay, Brad Osmus was set up like almost off the outside corner. 
and you just gradually see his hand come across to the inside corner of the plate and uh, just drop the barrel and, you know, history was made. And off you go. And World Series history, obviously. Um, so now, do you get free drinks anytime you go back to Chicago? Plum? Yeah, I get I get I get good seats, you know, and <laughs> in, in most of the bars that I go to or most of the restaurants, if I'm like, you know, or if I really want to do it, you know, I'll put on the ring and just kind of put it on the hostess stand and be like, <laughs> hey, can I get a can I get a seat? But I know there's there's particular spots around Chicago that I know that uh, I will get some preferential treatment. Not quite. I don't get treated quite as well as I do here in Houston. Houston has been phenomenal for me in the last 11 years now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we 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 love you here. And now. So after that, you, you bounced around a little bit. You mm -hmm. kind you signed a couple of one year con contracts uh, with with the Padres um, and then back to the Astros you go. And then after the Astros, you were with the D-backs. Um, and then at the end of your playing career, you signed on to be the color commentator for the Houston Astros pretty quickly after that. So like when Amazing. you when you were released, were you, were you like, okay, let's uh, let's do the color commentary thing? Or what like what was your life plan at that point? <laughs> Panic. Four I've got four <laughs> daughters. You know, it's like I've got this massive family to take care of. I did well enough in, in baseball to to provide. Right. Um, but I knew at the same time it wasn't gonna last me forever with four girls. You know, I knew it was gonna take uh, a lot more work and I'd have to stay a little more involved. But I had some conversations with guys like Mark Loretta, Brad Osmus. Um, there were a couple other guys. I talked to both players that were in the game, out of the game, and I was just kind of like, you know why aren't you in the game? Why did you stay in the game? And every one of them, even the guys that said that weren't in, in the game, as far as front office, coaching, scouting, um, media, every one of them were, they said, stay in the game if you can, because once you're out, it's hard to break back in right. and you may not go to the level you want. You will have to work a little bit harder. So, um, in, uh, July, July 8th, I think I got released July 18th of 2012. And the Diamondbacks fired their play-by-play -play guy. Mark Grace got his second DUI, so they fired him. And so they were scrambling to find people to cover games in September. And they had two open dates. They, you know, my agent calls me. He's like, do you have any interest in this? I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything, and they're paying me, so I'll just see how it goes. And uh, proceeded to do two games for the Diamondbacks on the color side. And uh, that was kind of my demo reel. In the offseason – that's when you kind of hit that panic mode. You're like, okay, Mr. Agent Man, I need you to hook me up. I'm, right. I'm calling people I know. I'm calling people. He's calling people he knows. Um, we're talking uh, coaching, scouting, front office. You know, I'm I'm like ready to do anything. Right. And t as timing has it, Jim Crane takes over the Houston Astros. He gutted the radio side because Milo, you know, was getting older, retiring. Uh, they got rid of Dave Raymond and uh, Brett Dolan on the radio side. Uh, Jim Deshays left for the Chicago Cubs, and uh, Bill Brown was pulling back and was only going to do home games. So basically, there were two spots on TV, two spots on radio, and my agent goes, hey, there's, there's interviews right now for the Houston Astros. I'm like, dude, put me on a plane, get me over there. Let's I don't go. know if I want to do this. I don't know how to do this, but... <laughs> I, I think if I just get my name out there and says that I'm available, maybe somebody will pick me up. Right. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but that interview for the job that I have now was four hours. <laughs> 
four hours. That's, and that's it was a, like this clandestine. Yeah. And I, I got off a plane from uh, California and I was like, I have n- no prep, no nothing. And I was going in expecting to know everybody. And Jim had gotten rid of most of the front office and stuff. So I was like, I don't know who that guy is. I don't know who you are. And I'm just like meeting people for the first time. And it was really kind of clandestine because I kind of saw Steve Sparks through like a crack in a door. I was like, hey, Sparky, you know, and uh, but I had no idea who was interviewing for this job. And I go in, I meet with Bill Brown. I meet with uh, directors of broadcasting. I meet, uh, you know, the radio president. I meet the president of the team, George Postolos at the time. Um, I'm meeting with scouting director, Mike Elias at the time. (laughs) I'm like, what am I doing here? And they're asking me, you know, analytic questions. I felt like I was going for the managerial job. I'm like, you know, buckled up, ready to go. And uh, I get done with George Postolos and everything went really well. And he goes, okay, you got one more stop. And they take me to uh, Jim Crane's office and drop me in there. And I'm like, Holy crap. I'm like, I'm going to meet the owner of the damn team right now. You're like, wait, oh, no one, no one told me about this. No one told no, me this. And I'm <laughs> sitting there. I'm like, Oh dear God. I'm like, dude, this guy's like a billionaire. He just bought the team. And now he's like, who's this schmuck in front of me trying to be on my TV broadcast. And I tell you what, it couldn't have gone better. I mean, he sat down and he was the most regular dude out of all the meetings I had. He was laid back, relaxed, respected me, asked the right questions. He told, he was telling me <laughs> Tell me stories about uh, Bud Selig and trying to purchase the. T- I mean, I was like, I'm getting like all this information. I'm like, dude, he has to hire me. I know too much now. But uh, you know, like, I didn't really- sign an NDA before I came in here. Did I? Wait, hold <laughs> yeah, on. I know. Little did I know. Yeah, that was probably. A, they probably had like laser tagged me on the way out. Going, <laughs> okay, if this guy talks, we know who it is. Um, but uh, you know, a month and a half later, George Postolos called me and he goes, "Hey, you know, we have a proposition to make." I'm not sure if you're interested, but we want to hire you, but it's only for half the games. And I was like making the transition from playing, you know, basically the last 25 years between the minor leagues and big leagues, you know, for February to October. And now you're telling me you're going to give me a job and I only have to work half the season. I was like, (laughs) dude, I am in. You're like, let's do it. And yeah, you know, mama was happy. The bank account was happy. I was happy. And, uh, you know, thankfully in 2017, Reed Ryan, who I'll, you know, I owe a lot to also Reed Ryan sat me down in the winter meetings in San Diego that year and kind of goes, you know what, we're thinking about uh, going in a more permanent direction and we want you to be a part of it. Would you be willing to move to Houston? And I mean, I probably should have asked my wife because it was kind of like one-on-one over a beer kind of thing. And I was like, dude, yeah, I go, I'm in. So, so at that point, we got here. So at that point, were you in the, between the, 2012 and 2017 you were still living in california doing oh yeah i was oh, I, I wasn't yeah. aware i thought so that you had te- moved here okay yeah so when the team was uh in 13 14 15 16 when the team would travel on the road i would meet them now this is their first gotcha. you know that was the first time they were in the american league west so i would fly up to oakland hitch on with them fly around and when they went to houston they flew me back to uh california gotcha okay so you were saying Again, before baseball, Susie. Uh, so, so um, you said that Milo was still doing the the home games. No, no, Bill Brown. Bill Brown. There we go. Bill yeah. Brown was doing the home games, and you were doing the away games as the color. Yeah, guy. yeah. Okay. So Bill Brown's last season, I think, was 2016, and then they hired me full time, and I got to do auditions, but you know, leading up to hiring Todd Callis. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
All right then. So, so you at Todd Kaus, side note, FYI, has one of the best voices ever. Like he is, just he's unbelievable. Chef's he, he's, kiss. Yeah, no, he's just spectacular. He he's he's the reason I I I I'm somewhat decent because of him. Okay, well, so then I I have multiple more questions. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, now. Did you do any sort of a voice training or speech <laughs> anything, Blum? Because there's a lot of players these days that you you see in interviews, and me personally, I'm all, sir. I need you. I need you to go practice in a mirror, and I need you. To, I need you to go go figure something out because between the ums and the like, I I can't. I can't. Just I need you. To, please go practice. And there's mm-hmm. some of those players that transition into color guys or analysts and they still speak that way and it kind of drives me insane um and so you know not not like my compliment means anything to you but hats off to you sir because thank you between you and tk there's it's it's smooth it's very smooth and i and there is some you can tell that there's been some practice there but i need to know like was there was there much like how how well did you do beforehand so interesting thing is, you know, during my playing career, I never turned down an interview, whether I won the game, lost the game, didn't play in the game. If somebody put a microphone in front of me, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll talk. I'll give you a sound bite." And a lot of the impetus for that was the fact that I wasn't the superstar. So I figured if I talked more and stayed a little more relevant, teams would keep me around a little bit longer. And it kind of, it kind of started this relationship. And I think a lot of it helped with uh, being in the National League East. So we were going through New York and talking, you know, the Mets all the time. Okay. Okay. So I got a lot of experience with the New York media and I developed relationships with them, but it wasn't really until I got to uh, San Diego where I really started to kind of find a voice or find it, find uh, that practice that you're talking about, because I agree with you hundred percent. It's all about repetition. It's about, uh, the practice. And it's the same, th- it's the same mentality for me as it was as a player. If something isn't working, I'm going to work until I figure it out right. and I can be more consistent with it. So in San Diego, I got a lot of opportunities. Um, there were, I had about a 45 minute drive from the stadium to my house when I played for the San Diego Padres, cause I was living at home. So at night after games, I would actually get on, you know, throw on the wired air, ear pods and mm-hmm. AirPods, whatever they were called. And I would do ESPN radio that entire drive home um, doing late night radio. So it, it was great for me to be able to kind of debrief what happened in the games, talk about other stuff around the league, and then also just be talking consistently and getting used to the reps and getting used to the voice. And then I eventually hosted a couple of three hour morning shows in San Diego. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got some great opportunities and created, you know, Darren Smith and Marty Caswell down in San Diego are phenomenal people. And they gave me all kinds of great opportunities but it kind of perpetuated and just kind of led to, you know, when I went back to Houston, I already had the, you know, the reputation there and established some equity in the city. So coming back in eight, nine and 10, you know, I knew I was going to have to work extra hard to endear myself to the fans again after 05. I, I don't then, know uh, why. Why would you have to do that? I yeah, don't right? <laughs> yeah. If I'd only known you back then, it would have been that much easier. <laughs> yeah, This is true. This is true. Yeah. But then there wouldn't have been a before baseball Susie and an after yeah. baseball Susie. So, you know. Uh, and then, but, but with the Arizona Diamondbacks, just to kind of give you another ideas, um, I did the two games and Tom Candiotti came into me, uh, before the second game I did. And he's like, how's it going? I go, dude, I suck. <laughs> I go, I am having a hard time putting numbers to what I'm seeing and what's going on. And he took his hand and like went to my desk and just went, 
and just threw everything, literally threw everything off of it. I was like, bro, what are you doing? He's like, he goes, what did you do for the, you know, what did you do for the last 14 years? I said, play baseball, man. And he kind of points to the field and he goes, tell the fans what you're seeing. He goes, don't worry about putting a number to it. Tell them what you're right. seeing and why you're seeing it. And that's where it kind of, uh, that's where I kind of, I, I started to jump off a little bit and I'll go, okay, that it's a little bit easier. And I knew that I'm not as, as professional, maybe as most people would want, but I think that kind of gives a little more personality to me and allows me to explain the game a little bit more. But just going back to, to Cal, I think my Cal reputation and my, my, my schooling at Cal really comes through in the broadcast. See, and I, like I said, I watch a, I watch a lot of baseball, not just Astros baseball. I watch a lot of other broadcasts as well. And mm -hmm. I will watch or not watch some games dependent on said broadcast team. And so I do the same thing. Uh, it's crazy. One of, one of my absolute favorites is um, Kevin Brown or, over at the Baltimore Orioles. Absolutely. Oh, so good. Absolutely love, love him. Uh, Jason Benetti. And, I, oh. you know, I don't. I don't especially watch the White Sox for the play on the on the field, but listening to Jason Benetti talk sometimes, I just I'm like, can I just sit at your feet? I just I just want to I just want to listen to you just talk all of the talks. He's amazing. But then you know, conversely, I will not watch a Blue Jays home game, <laughs> and I feel so bad. And every time I try, I was like, I can't, I can't. My husband's like, why not? I'm all listen to the, I can't, and it, and it's. I'm all, I can't. This is why I can't watch old old timey baseball uh, broadcasts because this is I this know. is this is what I, what I hear. And my husband just shakes his head and he just laughs. Um, but there's I'm super particular on the timber of of voices that I that I listen to as well. And surprisingly enough, I will listen to Michael K talk about the Yankees just because I like the the timber of his voice because mm -hmm. I'm weird. And but then also learn little nuggets about Yankees games. I'm like, I don't really want to know this, but I kind of do because I want to listen to Michael K's voice. But um, between, like I said, you and and TK, and does TK go into his like radio voice? I assume that his broadcast, his broadcast voice is not his normal <laughs> everyday voice, right? He's, it, it goes no. a, a register below. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I learned what projecting your voice was when I met TK. I mean, Bill Brown is the, 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 the utmost of professionalism and right. being a professional broadcaster. He's amazing. So I got the chance to sit with him and in call games with him. And now I've got a guy next to me who, who has obviously the pedigree with his dad being a legendary hall of famer. And now TK is kind of moving in that same direction or that same arc. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it is funny on the golf course, TK, you know, TK is just kind of hanging loose. The, the, right. the, the voice pulls back a little bit. Uh, we talk, we banter, you know, our voices squeak, they crack, <laughs> you know, but the second and well, in between innings, it's even that way, you know, we just kind of pull back a little bit, right. but if he has to read a billboard or an, you know, one of the promos we have all of a sudden, it's just like, ladies and you know, you're like, damn bro. Cause he's not a big dude. And all of a sudden this voice is just whoosh. It comes out there, but uh, yeah, he's he's he can definitely turn it on when he needs to. That's that's awesome. I have a, a photographer friend that's that's a DJ, radio DJ in Louisiana, and he he does the same thing. And so talking to him just normally, I, I go, Mike, I thought you told me that he was a radio DJ, and goes, he is. I go, that doesn't, that's not a, that's yeah. You're that's like, it. this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and he goes, okay, hold on. 
And he's like, Ken. He goes, what? He goes, do it. And then he just, <laughs> he's like, oh. And he just busts out into this mall. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is a, it's a whole other person. And he starts and he starts laughing at me. He goes, I don't know why that, that's surprising to you. He goes, you have a customer service voice. I'm all, listen, I, I'm aware that I have a customer service voice. Okay. But that's not, that's neither here nor there. We're not talking about that. I was mm-hmm. just, I was amazed that the man, you know, and it's, so I, Again, listening to TK and you on the broadcast bantering back and forth is just highlight of of my day. Just I, I need you to know this. So um, was there a time, though, listening to other, like I said, broadcasts and color guys talking about their experiences transitioning over? They had to kind of remind themselves of how to speak about players. You know, normally, you know, they're they're very careful on saying, you know, well, that was a stupid play. That's not that's not what you want to say, obviously. So was there a time when you had to learn how to like transition and and say something in a more like professional manner? And you know, mm-hmm. as of like, oh well, I, I bet you he wished he could do that over again or something like that. Is there w- w- at what point in your broadcast career, I guess, did you kind of make that transition? You're like, yeah, no, I I know how to how to do that really quickly. <laughs> well, I, my goal, there were two things I wanted to do when I got when I actually got the job to uh, to be a professional broadcaster. Is you know, the first one was remember how freaking hard this game is, you know, because it it really was. And I was not the superstar. I can't go out there and say, that's not how I would have done it. You know, because I'd listened to, to, to certain broadcasters, ex players. And you know what? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be like a back in my day type guy, or I wouldn't have done that. If, you know, if that was me, you know, I didn't want to be that guy because I had my moment, my moments are gone. It's about these guys on the field. But I also think, and this is going to sound crazy, I also think it was a blessing that I was broadcasting for a team that was losing 100 games because, you know, it, it, it kind of put the put the humility back in the game because, you know, these guys are fighting for their lives and they're not, they're not good enough. They're getting pounded on, yet they continue to fight. So I, I really wanted to respect that and understand how hard it was. So the first goal for me, and still is, is remember how hard this game is. Now it's even harder to call a game for a team that wins a hundred games because they're so freaking good that when they do make a mistake, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? You didn't do that two weeks ago, you know? Right, right. Because they're that good. Yeah. Um, so I really tried to be diplomatic about critiquing and uh, you know, with uh, critiquing how they play the game. And if I do critique them, I want to try and offer maybe, you know, you know, if, if they worked a little bit harder, if they would have tried this or they're going to use this as experience to be better the next time that play happens, you know, try and use it as a teaching moment as opposed to just going, that, that play sucked. That's why they lost, you know, because that doesn't that's not doing any good to anybody right. watching the game. And then I've got to go on the field and have this guy going, man, why'd you tell me I suck? I'm like, I, I, I couldn't do that. I still right. want to be around these guys and I still want them to be comfortable enough to say, hey, you shouldn't have said that. You should have said that. This is what happened because I want to know. I mean, I've had a couple of situations, you know, over the years with Carlos, you know, what, you know, walk me through this play because from where I'm sitting, I didn't see the entire play, even though I'm watching the whole game, but on the field, it's just completely different. And Carlos is gracious enough to, to explain, well, this happened. I had this guy that, you know, and this was my mindset before the play. So, I mean, those things really helped me and I try and use that moving forward. So I didn't take, you know, I took the the right pill and I said, I'm not going to forget how hard this game is, especially when hitters are facing hundred miles an hour. I didn't, I didn't face that all that often, 
But the second thing for me was, is I want to broadcast to that 12 year old kid, right. whether it's like, you know, whether it's the boy, whether it's the girl, I just, I want to, to broadcast to that 12 year old fan of the game because I love the game. I want to encourage the game and I want them to understand the game. So if I'm trying to explain, you know, if I'm trying to talk, if Alex Bregman and I are talking hitting, mm-hmm. it's going to go over everybody's head. Or if I tell a story <laughs> about a, a conversation I have with Tony Gwynn, they're going to go, what? Right. And I'm so if I can explain it to a 12 year old and give it a nice, quick, short soundbite, then I, then I've done my job because I want everybody to go, Oh, and like embrace the game and watch the game as, as they're learning and enjoying, obviously what we've watched for the last seven or eight years with how phenomenal this team is. Right. Yeah. Definitely a fine line of trying to figure out the the quote unquote lowest common denominator, essentially of, of, of how you want to go about explaining the game. You know, you can't, can't really throw out, you know, like ex Woba and Sierra out there. Oh, man. And we're like, I'm sorry, what Sierra went yeah. now? Yeah. Let's, let's break down that algorithm. So I know, again, I, I told you, I, I, I'm not that Asian. I don't do the math. And I, I'm so upset that there is so much math in baseball. <laughs> But no you know one told me. No one yeah, told me but, that there was so much math in baseball. And you know what's funny to me is, is like there, we have moments where we get heavy on the analytics, and then we have moments where we don't talk about analytics. And there's actually people that are like, "Why aren't they bringing up you know the OPS plus?" I'm like, "Man!" So I, I, I think that's kind of a credit to our show is that we try and bring up some of the analytics that that can be attributed to the gameplay. You know, right. I, we we don't want to inundate anybody with. You know, oh my, yeah, there's so many numbers out there where I, TK starts rattling someone off and I'm like, you're on your own, bud. Because <laughs> I'm lost. You're like, nope, mm-mm, that's not a thing mm-hmm. that we're going to do. And one of the, one of the reasons I started this show in and of itself was to, A, when I heard those terms, I would go and, and look it up and see what it meant and like how it related mm-hmm. to the game. Good for and, you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And then, uh, break it down to those people that may that may not or do that in and of itself and so um but i i do appreciate y'all doing kind of the the explaining um of some of some of the things and i'm sure that you'll get you know the old crotchety guys that are watched baseball for 94 mm-hmm. years but like oh they're explaining it again can yeah. you just Okay, the people are learning. We appreciate it. So I want you to yeah. know in case in case anyone never gets to you. I know probably not. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I appreciate those like you who go out there and try and investigate a little bit more and get, you know, because we're not going to explain it perfectly every night. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to recognize that we work for a heavy analytic team. Right. And some of that helps explain how how damn good they are at putting together a roster. Right. Or why they, they yeah, have exactly. the guys on their rosters. There's a lot so. of why. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I know we, uh, are cutting it close, so we're going to wrap it up here, but I wanted to la- ask the last kind of question. Is there, I know you said TK was, was one of those, those guys that has been super important in your broadcast career, but overall broadcast slash playing career. Can you give me like, I guess one of each in your broadcast career and your playing career, like your favorite guys or anyone that really kind of impacted you in the way that you play, the way that you broadcast? Oh, that's a good question. And I should have this nailed down by now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I grew, I grew up in, uh, LA, you know, uh, about 30 minutes East of LA. So a lot of the TV that I watched was the Lakers and the Dodgers, unfortunately, and fortunately because of Vince Scully, but, um, Vince Scully was amazing. 
I also uh, got to listen to Chick Hearn. I'm not sure if too many people know of Chick Hearn in the NBA, but he broadcasted for the Lakers. Him and Stu Nance together were awesome. Um, they, they were part of the entertainment of watching a Laker team. Uh, so I, I, I listened to a lot of them, but I also have been able to talk to a lot of guys, like you said, the Jason Benetti's Mark Gubaza is another guy that I really kind of leaned on early in my career. And now we've created this unbelievable friendship. Uh, Matt Vaskurgeon is a guy that I talked to. Uh, Mark Grant out in San Diego was actually one of the guys that kind of didn't really inspire me, but kind of said, you know what, I, I could do that and I could have fun doing it because Mark Grant uh, does a very good job of calling the game, knowing the intricacies of it, but also having a good time at the same time. And uh, that's kind of what I wanted to bring to it. And at the same time, I respected the hell out of G uh, Jim Deshays. And it was a little fearful for me when I got the job going, oh my gosh, I've got to replace Jim freaking Deshays. <laughs> and I knew that I was not going to be able to do that. So I think knowing and respecting those guys kind of encouraged me just to be me right. because I wasn't going to match up to any of those guys. So those are just some of the names and some of the voices that I've heard. And I like the, I like their cadence. I like the way they call the game. They're entertaining um, because baseball, you know, even with the clock can get a little slow at times. Uh, we want to have fun, but as far as playing the game, and I say this all the time, you know, it, it really had to be, you know, I, obviously we talked about Vlad Guerrero. I was never going to be as good as that guy, but damn, I love the way he played the game, man. He, he played so hard and played with so much intent to go out there and do damage on it every single day that I was like, damn, if he can do it, I can do it kind of thing. Not to that level, but I right. can go out there with the same intensity. Um, yeah, because his skill sets are obviously different. Um, what? But uh, getting in the clubhouse with uh, the Biggios, the Bagwells, the Billy Wagners, like Billy Wagner, man, he had this he had this controlled anger and intensity about him where, you know, he just did not want to lose. He didn't want to give up a pitch. And, you know, I, I, I learned that, you know, how to play behind somebody like that. But then there's also the business-like attitude of a Craig Biggio that you were just like, dude, how does this guy do it every single night? And he plays with this intensity. The dude's dirty every night. He's he's running out, you know, two hot ground balls to the second baseman. I was like, okay, that guy's getting paid millions. He's right. going to the Hall of Fame and he's running harder than I am. Something ain't right in that equation. So I was like, okay, we got it. We got to change that. And then you add that to, you know, the Jeff Bagwell attitude where he, he played equally as hard, but then you had the knowledge um, of playing the game. So I learned a lot from those guys and I really give them a lot of credit. And it's not because I'm an Astro broadcaster or I have history with the Astros. It's a legit uh, sincerity when I say that I learned a lot about how to play the game through those guys and trying to perform and compete as a team to win a pennant. And obviously, you know, it helped out further down the road because I got to play you know, other than the White Sox, you know, I was on a couple of, I was on a Western Division champion with the San Diego Padres with Trevor Hoffman as a closer, uh, you know, a young Jake Peavy. And then I go to the Arizona Diamondbacks and I meet a young Gold, Paul Goldschmidt. We win the West in 2011. So um, I recognized a lot of greatness in those other, the, the teams that I played past the Astros because of what I saw in the Wagners, Biggios, Bagwells. That's, I, 
you're just dropping bars over here, Blummer. I'm just, <laughs> I can't, I don't even know how to, how to you follow bring out the best up. in me. <laughs> you know, you know, multiple people have said, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Imagine um, if we did have that bourbon sitting right here to get that much better. You know, if it wasn't Friday afternoon, Blummer, I'm just saying like, we may, mm -hmm. we may have to do this. I'll have to, I'll have to get you all back on and maybe like at a nighttime. And, um, well, we all love Astros after dark yeah. and that's when the, that's when the real broadcast starts. That is, that is true. That is true. Maybe um, we can get your bum from Adam Clanton on here. Yes, I am calling you out, Adam. No, I'm just Do kidding. I, I love Adam, um, my husband, and, and he know each other really well. And so um, it's so funny because Adam actually like knows who I am. If he sees me in like in person, he will come say hi to oh, me. That's awesome. He's um, good. I, I love him. He, we, we've become great friends. Love Adam. Uh, just, we have been Facebook friends for, I don't know how long. And that, that does age me. I know. Um, but he just recently followed the Instagram and I, I told Mike, I go, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little salty right now that I have known Adam for this long. And he just now followed my Instagram yeah, and, what's he been um, waiting for? and he still hasn't followed my Twitter. And now I'm really salty about Adam Clinton. <laughs> and so Mike's over there, like texting Adam about this. And I was like, you tell him, <laughs> you tell him how salty I am. Okay. So I that's, like it. I'll, yeah, I'll remind so. him too. Thank you. I appreciate that. My, my, um, my quote unquote love letter to, uh, Adam Clinton. Every time <laughs> I give him, um, shit about loving Teresa more than him, everyone is like, how, why are you, who, who are you? I'm like, that, don't I think that. that's why we get along so well is because we, we, we have very public jobs and we feel like we're very good at them, but at the same time, we're secondary to our wives. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, you know, we kind of have yeah. this second place club that we hang out in. <laughs> But see, but but you're aware of the fact, and that's always a good hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, Blummer, I know lots of people know like where to find you on the socials, um, but maybe I don't know. Maybe they don't know that you have, you know, a, a podcast. You have two podcasts, so why don't you go ahead and you know promote those just a little bit? Yeah, I've been slacking a little bit on the podcast uh, side of it, and uh, my buddy David Tuttle, that uh, works with me on the Bleacher Blums podcast, uh, continues to let me know that we should be recording a podcast. So hopefully, <laughs> after this holiday break, we'll get together and uh, and, and get that going again. And I'll, and there's also one on uh, Believe the Believe Network, which is Believe in Astros with Jeff Balky. And that's just strictly 100% Astros. Whereas Bleacher Blums is a little more wide array and uh, you know good time. Uh, but those are the podcasts. And then, of course, I've cornered the market on at Blummer27 on most of the social media. So if you're ever searching me out, just type in Blummer27 and it should pop up. Good follows, good follows on, on all of the socials. And we'll put all of those uh, links um, in the show notes and description. Um, uh, again, Blum, I appreciate you taking the time out. I know that, like I said, the holidays are here. The girls are home. And again, shout out to Corey for have, being a mom of multiples because as a Fellow, I, I just, I say just, I have twins. I have identical oh, twin girls. Oh, good for you. How come I didn't and know so, that? Yeah, I have identical you, twin girls. You know. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you go, we went from, you know, we were two on one to zone defense. <laughs> Dude, yeah. got, good for you. That's awesome. Boy, girl. Yeah. Oh, boy. What do you got? Um, identical twin girls. Identical oh, twin girls. Awesome. Yes. So they that are. Awesome. They are a hot mess. And How old? Uh, eight. Well, they'll be they'll be nine in May. So they oh, they man. are quick to remind me that they are eight and a half. Yeah, mm -hmm. mom, we're eight and They're a half. They're coming into their own. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I apologize that I did not put that half. I was like, because you know, when you get to my age, you don't you don't put those halves in there, baby. And they're <laughs> all oh oh yeah, because you're old now, mom. Mm hmm. 
you yeah, are not they're old. Like, they're like, how old are you again, mom? And I'm like 41. And they're all, oh yeah, you're not as old as dad though. I'm all, well, you, yeah, you just, <laughs> yeah, you just kicked me right in the chin with the 41. I'd give anything to be 41 again. That was well, almost my, a decade ago. My husband is, uh, is almost 52. So it's, you know. It, okay. So we're, yeah, well, I'm, I'm on the same pace. He is. We're good. He, he, uh, we have a, I have a, um, 22 year old stepdaughter. So he just started all over again, um, with, with the girls and he's just, he's like, I'm tired. I'm very tired. I'm all, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, like I, I was only planning on like a child, like in my entire, in my entirety, it just, we're just one. And God said, yep. no, no, we're going to, we're going to humble her. Cause we know we yeah. only give her one. She's going to be You're way too bitch. comfortable. We're going to give you a couple extra. Yeah. Mm -hmm, let's go. Mm -hmm. We're going to give her two at the same time. Yep. Just humble her you're, to know you're doing that. great <laughs> so um but again uh blum thank you so much for coming on again yeah. i will have you and jeff on sometime after dark when we can enjoy some bourbon and i will try not to make faces as i drink my bourbon so <laughs> I, it's not my husband's like why did you name the show bourbon and baseball mall because i like the alliteration leave me alone it sounds great yeah so all right so um again guys if you like the show Please rate, review, follow all the five stars, all the written reviews. We appreciate that. Um, and again, Blum, thank you so much. And I can't wait to uh, hear you and TK and, you know, of course, Julia, because she's my favorite um, out of all of you. I'm very sorry about that. But Again, I'm favorite. in second place behind Julia, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, again, you guys know that, though. So um, can't wait to hear you guys again. And on the Space City Home Network, that's a whole new how how often it. have you had to practice that quite a bit quite a bit quite a bit space yeah. city home network yeah yeah that, so, that's going to take some work i i'm looking forward to to listening to you guys on that hopefully it's not too much different than it has been i don't assume that it will be but no. you know you never know so yeah just a little inside info don't expect many changes i mean it's just going to be the name of the network and some of the logo flies and stuff like that that's about it but you i mean Luckily, you're still going to have TK, myself, and Julia on the show. But uh, maybe the, the one thing—I don't know—I don't know if I get yelled at this, but there might be more content, more Astro content than oh. we've had in the past. So that would be good. We we all love all of the Astros content all of the time. That's yep. I I I will relish that. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I know that the fans are looking forward to that. And with that, um, we will say goodbye. Yay, baseball! Peace.